0: Welcome to Startup to Scale, a podcast by Food Bebby. I'm your host, Jordan Buckner. Join me as I talk to aspiring entrepreneurs, seasoned industry experts, and everyone in between as we unlock the keys to growing from startup to scale. Today I'm introducing and interviewing Erica, founder of Great Nola. So Erica, let's start at the beginning. I'd love for you to introduce yourself and Great Nola and talk about the product and how you got started
1: sure hi guys i'm erica i am the founder of great nola which is a healthy low sugar superfood granola brand that actually started out of my home kitchen around seven years ago um just a little disclaimer is that the first roughly five years was a side hustle so my background is actually um working in tech so i'm based in the bay area where the heart of silicon valley is and i was maybe four or five years into my tech career when i got the itch to start my own business and I um, happen to be already making this, I guess, quote, cleanse-friendly, and I'll qualify that, um, cleanse-friendly granola for my husband and I. So the granola was born from this diet that um, my husband and I adopted maybe 10 years ago. For 28 days, we would eliminate a lot of common, I guess, bad things from our diets, things that are inflammatory. So refined sugar, soy, dairy, wheat, processed foods, alcohol, you name it. And back in 2009, 2010, when we wanted something sweet and crunchy to snack on, it got really tiring only to be able to resort to fruit when we wanted something to eat because most things on the market back then were just not healthy and didn't meet this like dietary protocol. So... I um, was inspired to make my own granola recipe when I saw a famous celebrity chef on Food Network make his own granola. And I think most of us know that granola tends to be one of those fake healthy foods, loaded with refined sugars, loaded with inflammatory GMO oils. So I swapped in better ingredients instead. So this was something that was already being made in my kitchen for about a year when I um, got the itch to start my own business and decided to launch that as a farmer's market business on the side of my full-time job. So I was baking out of my home kitchen sold it every weekend at the farmer's market, and then quickly and serendipitously got it voted into Google HQ's pantries. And so basically, I got invited to participate in Google Snack Fair in 2013, um, where employees get to sample and vote for what snacks they want in their offices and showed up to the fair with hand-baked granola and thousands of Googlers came and sampled and I ended up getting voted in. So that launched me into sort of the food service world. So rather than going into the retail channel, I started getting my granola into all these tech offices in the Bay Area, um, slowly built up that channel as well as focused on direct-to-consumer selling on Amazon and my website through Instagram marketing and whatnot. And then um, over the course of four and a half years, uh, built up the confidence to go full-time, which I did late 2017. And I've been full-time food granola founder entrepreneur mode since late 2017. And I have some really unique superfood flavors. So I have an activated charcoal infused flavor, chai, cacao, turmeric, matcha, um and I would say that while food service has been a really lovely channel in building up my volume and, and creating some demand within certain markets, it's it's been deeply impacted by COVID. But fortunately I have a good direct consumer base and then I've started going into retail as well pre-COVID. I'm only in about 70 doors currently, but that will uh become a larger focus into this year.
0: That's amazing. And I love your story and have talked to you before around this food service channel. Talk about what happened around February, March, when COVID was really starting to take effect? What did tra- that transition look like with offices starting to close?
1: Sure. So based in Northern, being based in Northern California, um, shelter in place hit first in the country. Um, and so February was amazing. It was like one of my best months in food service. Like it was really great momentum into the year. I just opened up like Phoenix and Denver and all these different regions. Uh, And with food service, you have to unlock distribution just like you do in retail. And so February was like really good indicator of all the hard work and the seeds that I planted the year before. And it was like my highest month. (laughs) And then suddenly in March, you know, I think it, it just was like very, it was very reactive in the beginning. So it was, you know, my distributors trying to cancel POs. And then, you know, a week or two later, they couldn't even accept the POs that they were willing to take. So I was stuck with a lot of inventory. And in the moment, very short-sightedly, I was almost trying to force my customers to to commit to their POs with this whole, I'm a small brand, like, I committed to this inventory already, like, please take it. And then even when they did take it, then soon enough, maybe in a week or two, I got hit back up by my distributors asking me to take it all back. (laughs) So, I would say from the course of like early February, I had signals of, oh my gosh, things are canceling. I just want to hold on to them to in a couple of months later in March, mid-March, it was, oh shoot. Like I have my distributor sitting on 15,000 pounds of bulk granola that would ordinarily get moved in the month. And now I have to find a home for them or they're going to kind of like force me to take it back. So that was really stressful. Um, I do think that when you have these situations where you're pushed in a corner and it's like sink or swim, you, as an entrepreneur, entrepreneur, you figure out how to swim. So luckily I was able to find new channels to basically um, sell the bulk through Um, not exactly in the same format. I had to like, take the bulk back, repack it um, and then sell it into retail packs. So even if it was break even, it was still a great way to just move the products. But now that we're kind of, Three plus months in, it's, I think, now operating in this new norm of this is kind of how it's going to be. I don't expect food service to come back anytime soon. I really need to double down and focus on other channels that are actually increasing, which is retail and direct to consumer, and have to make a plan and n- make sure that I can make it work without that food service piece that has really been giving me this boost that a lot of brands ordinarily don't have when they start up when it comes to volume um, that I had for the first kind of six-ish years in business.
0: And then you began the transition to grocery before COVID hit. Mm-hmm. Um, How's that transition, that pivot gone? And mm-hmm. you know, talk about your packaging redesign and sure. what uh, really kind of kicked that off.
1: Sure, so um, I decided that I was going to officially pursue retail which was a channel that I deliberately always said I would stay out of really for my first like five, six years in business. Um, I think retail is a channel that as a brand, if you're trying to build uh, you know, a national brand one day and a well-known consumer brand, you have to be in retail, that's where most people shop. Um, so I decided around mid last year that I was gonna start to pursue retail. And so I started in my own backyard of Northern California, focusing on the natural independent kind of channel. Um, and basically grew my presence from virtually like two or three doors to maybe around 70 in, in about six months. Um, just literally going door to door selling. Um, I have a local distributor that also kind of helps support as well and sells me into some of these stores. And I would say that, um, you know, I looked at it as like a necessary evil. Like I don't see a world where I build the brand that I want with, without retail. It has to be a big part of the picture at some point, but I was trying to delay it as long as I could grow my other channels. But I felt it was time. Um, and one of the things that I instantly learned was, you know, in retail, it's a whole different animal when the product is like on the shelf against 20, 30 other competitors. And, you know, your, your pricing may not be the most competitive, you might be more premium than others, like why would people want to pick you up and buy you? And I would say that I do have some leverage in that in the Bay Area, there is brand awareness from the thousands of people who have used who have access to my product for free at their offices. So that's the great thing about food service is that while the product is um, free for employees and in bulk, my logo, like my name, is on the product. So I do have customers who are like, I eat granola every granola every day in my office at Google. And then when I show up in a local store and I have all these other flavors that aren't in the office, there is some sort of kind of brand awareness already, which is great, um, but for the most part, people don't know who, what my brand is, and so, you know, I started kind of the traditional marketing route where I would get into a store, and I would demo right away, and there were certain things I learned instantly, which was, you know, I have a my activated charcoal skew, which used to be called charcoal chia, right? I think I had very f- um, direct flavor names, but when people kind of see the packaging and they see the name people aren't sure how to perceive it as far as taste goes it's black granola it says charcoal i think most people might think of like charcoal in your barbecue or people may not know that activated charcoal is actually tasteless so i learned right away you know my product's really great when people sample it but my packaging can work a lot better as far as making the flavor become more appetizing and i really learned this really quickly maybe after doing like 10 or 15 demos that there were just certain flavors that i know like really win on taste but like if I'm not there, I need to make sure that the package will sell itself and sell the flavor. So that forced me into going into uh, a really quick iteration on my packaging to dial up the taste flavor and really market the, like, the inclusions and the, the taste. Um, and you know, I think looking back, it was really smart that I started small. So again, going through a local distributor, only kind of testing in a certain amount of stores first because if I had to go back and change all my flavor names, Uh, And I was like more widely distributed or with a larger distributor, it would have been a lot more expensive and challenging than me being able to do the nimble changes that I did as soon as I learned them.
0: Yeah, packaging, as we know, is very important, but especially when you're on the shelf of grocery stores, you're relatively new brand and still building that awareness, your packaging has to do a lot of work. And (laughs) if that customer looks at it in three seconds, and they don't get it and think that they want to try to taste appetizing they're not going to give you a second look they're going to go and grab something else they're going to be at the store and especially during this time when people are spending such little time in the store Um, have you brainstormed any ideas for uh, getting new customers to pick up your products during covid when we can't demo or sample in the store
1: anymore for retail
0: yeah yeah
1: um So I've had maybe, I haven't had a ton of new placements since COVID. I have some that I'm working in the pipeline, but one of those chains that came online was Lazy Acres in Southern California. Um, And so for that one, you know, of course, if you have access to people that, you know, already shop there, like I've asked my friends to send me pictures of the shelf. And of course, hopefully they support and pick up a bag. But, um, you know, I think whether it's COVID or not, I really try to Build a relationship with whoever is in charge of merchandising and kind of the marketing there and show support. So, I mean, it's, it's both ways. I mean, I expect to get results from this, but one of the things I committed to was doing a, a wing display at all the stores. So basically I got cut in um, Lazy Acres towards the end of May. And then right away, you know, I introduce myself to the people who are in charge of marketing. And then I've committed to a wing display, which isn't very expensive at Lazy Acres. It's about fifty dollars a store, um, but obviously it shows them that you're supporting. And then the goal, obviously, is to get some off shelf placement while being on a promo to drive that trial and just get that awareness. Because without demos, um, you know, you really can't get it in people's mouths. You got to just somehow stand out on the shelf or stand out off shelf. Um, So I'm trying to take advantage of that where it's affordable. And then, you know, in the process of doing that, I've had conversations with the merchandiser just on the phone, and he's super friendly, you know, I just straight up asked him, hey, like I saw in one store, I'm at the very top of the shelf, like, how can I become more eye level? And he was like, Oh, I could just move you next time I'm in the store. So I was like, okay, cool. Like, I'm glad I asked. And then I I also make sure to always send them my granola, right? So even though I already like got past the buyer and the buyer tasted the product, you know, the guy that's managing the marketing programs and the guy that manages merchandising, I've had separate conversations with them on the phone and I make sure that, you know, no matter how nice they are, I still offer it. And I say, hey, like, let me send you some granola and you try to make them your fan. But I think, you know, if you have the community and you could drive your existing customers somehow to the stores, that's great. But then, you know, sometimes the most the the best the most powerful tool is kind of getting that on the ground person at the store to be your advocate. Um, and you know, they might hook it up with some favors if they show that you're, you know, really passionate. They like your product, and they're willing to kind of help you out because they know you're supporting too.
0: How do you see food service rebounding? Do you think it's going to sure. come back, or um, how long do you think that might take?
1: Sure. Um, okay, so food service what I know food service is very broad, right from restaurants to you know airports and bookstores and hospitality, education. My food service channel is specifically kind of office office snacks, right whether it 's the form of being free, which is called pantry, whether it 's micromarkets where it 's kind of in these little retail kind of setups in, a, in an office or a place of business, and you kind of swipe something you know you code out, swipe it with your card or vending. And, you know, 95% of my business in food service has been the pantry um, channel, which is offices that have my granola for free. So I am pretty dismal on my outlook for food service. So as you know, we're hitting a second wave. Um, I think tech, and because most of my customers are pure tech companies, it lends itself to working from home. And I think that over this time period, people have seen that, hey, like, actually employees are pretty happy working from home and they can be as productive. So there's less incentive for people coming back to the office. And then plus the second wave is only going to push people to stay kind of remote for a longer period of time. And um, now there's a little bit less worry around, hey, can the company operate working remote? Because I think people have proven that they can. So on the pantry side, I'm pretty um, negative on the extent to which it's going to come back. Um, you know, I've talked to some, you know, food brokers, people in the industry where they're just like, you know, even in the next year, maybe 30% will come back. And even the offices that are opening up now are going through their existing inventory. Um, they're not, they're decreasing their SKU selection. It's really not a time now to like bring in a bunch of SKU selection. If anything, it's like, stay focused on what, like move what we have and then stick to the core products. Um, the other thing that's changing is, uh, bulk is gonna go away. So everything needs to be single serve, every single item, whether it's a utensil, whether it's a snack needs to be individually wrapped for sanitation. Um, so that's a long winded way of saying, I'm not very optimistic around um, food service coming back. I think it'll take a couple years to come back and you know, next year, even optimistically, even if it's at 50%, that would be great. Um, and then I do think micro markets where people actually have to pay for product um, or vending, where, of course, it's like in a vending machine, I think there will be a lot more usage there. So that might have more opportunity. But free free snacks, I think, is not coming back for a while, and it'll be very limited.
0: Yeah, very insightful on that. Well, Erica, this has been great. Um, I'd like for you to share where people can buy Great NOLA. Where's the easiest place to get it?
1: Sure. Uh, you can buy directly on my site at greatnola.com. That's G-R, the number 8, N-O-L-A. And you can also buy it on Amazon Prime. And then of course, if you are in the Bay Area or in Southern California, I do have a store locator on my site, but um, Amazon or my website's probably the easiest.
0: Erica, thanks so much for being on and best of luck.
1: Thank you.